I'm Mark Stedman, and I shall rend thee in the gobble warts with my blurg and crunch and see if I don't. I'm Danny Smith, the third worst in the universe. I'm John Bounson. Why do you do it? What is it? The girls, the leather, the machismo? Or do you just find that coming to terms with the mindless tedium of it all presents an interesting challenge? It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard, Leopard, Leopard. The podcast you were listening to is called Beware of the Leopard, and it's all about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, what it is is, you see, uh, we take all of the things that Douglas Adams made up and we sort of put them back in alphabetical order. Um, we've been doing it for a while, so if this is your first time with us, uh, btlpodcast.com has all the episodes you need from A to V. Um, yeah. Uh, so speaking of V, let's crack on. Here is what to do if you want to get a lift from a Vogon. Forget it. They are one of the most unpleasant races in the galaxy. Not actually evil, but bad-tempered, bureaucratic, officious, and callous. They wouldn't even lift a finger to save their own grandmothers from the ravenous bug blatter beast of trial without orders signed in triplicate, sent in, sent back, queried, lost, found, subjected to public inquiry, lost again, and finally buried in peat and recycled as firelighters. The best way to get a drink out of a Vogon is to stick your finger down its throat, and the best way to irritate him is to feed his grandmother to the ravenous bug blatter beast of trial. Uh, Mr. Bounds, do we know if Douglas had a specific group in mind? when he came up with the Vogons, or are we just talking sort of general bureaucrats? Uh, I mean, it's not like he uh, would have encountered all that many working for the BBC, what? I think, but that's interesting, isn't it? Because I think the um, what we forget, or at least what I sometimes forget when we start thinking about how what Douglas's frame of mind was, what his references were, what his worldview was like at this point, is... Is that he's dead and we can't well, ask him? Yes, well, I don't know unless we uh, have a, a quick <laughs> seance and uh, see if we don't get um, Douglas Adams the third. But um, yeah. the, I think the idea, I think we forget that how young he was, mm. if you see what I mean, because mm-hmm. both because young people of his era seemed a lot older than young people now. Mm-hmm. If he was alive now and uh, he was someone of a sort of contemporaneous uh, with us he'd be mucking about on twitter talking you know indulging in absolutely weird sort of esoteric hashtag things or talking obscure memes yeah he'd been he'd be in a complete sort of um sort of like writer twitter or something that we didn't that we didn't you know we don't quite know about mm-hmm. but he he's essentially i think this is only my interpretation, and I've only just thought of it. So it could be a load of old ass. I think he's essentially satirizing the world of grown ups, the staid world mm. of people who ask you to do things and ask you to do things properly. <laughs> you know, there's a great story about in um, all of the Douglas uh, biographies that exist about how he, um, when the I think it was straw when Strawberry Fields came out the Beatles record he bunked off school went into town and bought it and took it back to school he was in a boarding um school at the time and broke into the matron's office where the only record player in the school was and listened to it Mm. very quietly (laughs) until he was caught and I think that that not only shows how much he loved music but it shows that yeah he was a bit of a rebel and he and he saw the world, and he would have encountered essentially these lines of really quite staid, quite boring, so sort of still, sort of post, sort of just post Second World War, grey men with moustaches <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and grey women, also probably, um, and you, you know what I mean. So it's it's kind of um, I do. Uh, I I wonder how much I find that interesting set against the backdrop of um a decade earlier and the you know the summer of love and the sort of hippie flower power stuff that obviously feels very american but must have had its influence of course it must have you know that there must have been stuff in the uk with that but he would have been i would imagine a maybe a bit too young um to to have really enjoyed it or to have been able to really take advantage of it. And I wonder what that does. He was just old enough to have bought the hippie wigs that they're selling in Woolworths now. Um, 
<laughs> They're not selling them Woolworths anymore. But he was. That, I mean, that's why they went bust. Woolworths because they were. That's all they. All they got. Pick and mix. <laughs> pick and mix covered in pick and mix covered and mix. in fake hippie hair. Was, <laughs> oh um, dear! You know, you never get a gobstopper without forget you know, smelling of patchouli oil. Um, and uh, you know, you had to hide your uh, um, your Daily Mirror inside a copy of Oz magazine. <laughs> of course. Well, you get that reaction, don't you? So the the BBC for example, or Cambridge University, may have, may have had hot spots of uh, young student protest. I'm sure even in uh, Cambridge in 68, there was a, a frisson in the air of uh, anti-capitalism. But what um, mm-hmm. was probably not happening is that, that at, um, at Cambridge, the, they were not the, the young dons who were anything other than sort of like old and and grey and it wasn't at the BBC it was still as far as I'm aware the sort of um, Dennis Main Wilson uh, producer sort of era where you know these guys were a lot of them they'd had good wars you know that was how they got their positions mm-hmm. that was um, it was uh, jo- it's not so much jobs for the boys as uh, jobs jobs for the uh, the men who'd been through uh, hell and high water to, for us all yes it's sort of it's a, a nice resting place you, you've had a you've had a bit of a You've had a bit of a time, so uh, here you are. Get get a, a nice desk behind the BBC, uh, and every few weeks, some scruffy young beard will will come and sit opposite you and ask if you can have some money to to make something on the wireless. That that's it. And I mean, you, so the um, there's the the story of uh, the producers um, of Hitchhiker sort of steering it through the BBC bureaucracy by saying, at this point, it's technically a drama, so you can record it in stereo or. <laughs> Would that apparently happen? <laughs> well, I mean, the young ones had had a, a similar history. It, it couldn't get commissioned, or it didn't, for whatever reason, get commissioned under a um, a comedy uh, commission. Um, so that's why there was a musical performance in every episode, so that it would qualify as a variety show, uh, as entertainment, I believe, because otherwise it would it would have been deemed a comedy, and they weren't commissioning any more comedies. If only sitcoms today could be classified under entertainment. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, okay. I I've got a theory, and I want you both to shoot it down because I don't want to believe this, but oh, okay. There's enough evidence in my head to kind of for it to be knocking around. Mm-hmm. So the Vogon constructor fleets are ciphers. Uh, so th- it's a, it's a bit of mirroring, isn't it? So the um, so the Vogon constructor fleet captain is a mirror for uh, Vossa, uh, Prosser, yeah, the, the bureaucrat, actually played by yeah, the Prosser, same person Prosser. in the radio show, yeah. yeah. Um, and the 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 ships are the um, are the are, are the cipher for the bulldozers because they're big and yellow. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So are Vogons? A, a standing for the working classes, so they, because they're all the pro, they're all the stereotypes of um, what a middle class or, or upper class snob would think of the working class. You know, stupid, ugly, uncultured, um, ran by bureaucrats via very firm hand because that's how they need to be ran. Um, like, can I can I take a run at this and then John can do a proper one? Yeah, go on. Yeah, disavow me of this notion. I. I, I can see the through line. Um, I think he possibly demonstrated more re- um, respect for the working classes uh, towards the end of the series when he talks about the A arc and the B arc. The A, uh, no, the C arc was reserved for the people who made and did things. Um, or, or, it was either the A or the, or the C, I can't remember. Um, See, so you had the great thinkers, and he saw a separation between those two, and I, obviously that can be debated as whether that's a good thing, the separation between the, the thinkers and the doers. Um, but he he respected those people enough to say that they should be able to exist without these middlemen. And I think I think what the Vogons are a stand-in for is Jobsworths, and we've talked about what a Jobsworth is a lot. Uh, and I think it, it's that kind of person who is possibly the aspiring um you know the 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 working i'll i'll just say man partly for you know for for time saving and also because it was the 70s um the, the that sort of aspiring working class man who wants to be um middle class and I, you know there were sitcoms built on this on this trope i mean um up until the what early 90s um what was it called uh, the, the hyacinth bouquet thing that was a woman from a working class family um, who had aspirations to to be something 
uh, that she wasn't. Um, and I think it's it's possibly that. And I don't think he's even attacking aspiration. I think he's attacking that that absolute, ooh, yeah, more than my job's worth, that mentality, that sort of, I'm not going to do it because literally it doesn't tick the right box. I don't think he's attacking the working class because I think he's demonstrated that um, he understands that those people have value in the world. I'm going to say, Mark, that I think I think you've I think you've got that you think you've got that right, and it's um, it's it's the Vogons are a sort of yeah middle management management class sort of thing, and they're quite um, I don't know Pooterish in their sort of um, <laughs> you know they 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 they're trying to social climb, and I think that's mm-hmm. um, the Vogon poetry is exactly that uh, which mm. will come on to I suppose it's exactly that sort of aspirational level the um he's it is a it is a snobbishness it is a sort of um you and non-you yeah. thing i think from yes. someone who'd um not if not necessarily been rich he'd been exposed to um you know notions of uh of class and and belonging and then that sort of um it's well it's i suppose is an interesting bit of um evolution of angles on the british class system if you think about how in the original uh radio series and in the first couple of books we've got these sort of yeah yeah these sort of um you know weaselly sort of i don't know yeah these weaselly sort of like yeah um charles pooter-esque characters you know the nobodies and i'm sure he uh, had read diary nobody the sort of comic novel but was um sort of vaguely punchish and the um by the mostly harmless we've seen those the vogons and i hope i'm not spoiling it for anybody we've seen the vogons sort of change and but all they've you know all they've changed is their color but what they're doing they've become a much more i suppose i don't know late 80s early 90s managerialist class there's the 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 vogons of mostly harmless are essentially third wave blairites um, yeah, so what, what what we're saying is, even though it has class overtones, it's not a direct stand-in. Okay, okay. I, I, I mean, I'm still not I'm still not entirely convinced because it, always in fiction, there's always an evil race, an evil race, and these always kind of tie into less civilized, less cultured, less less than you, which makes it okay for large scale destruction of them it's okay to shoot a, shoot a ship down if it's full of assholes right so we so in fiction they tend to create um races of people that it's okay to kill because they are inherently bad or wrong and when that starts reflecting class that can get a little bit uncomfortable but there's never a question well okay there's there's never a question of our heroes ever like it's it never really comes in that they're gonna do anyone any harm i mean most of the time they they you know they're running away from someone, um, but I think I, I I did have a point about the um, the, the Vogon said yeah. So I, I I think what he's attacking is thoughtlessness and lack of imagination, and we will get onto that uh, in a bit when we talk about Vogue's fear. Certainly that the film depiction, which again may have drawn from from Adams's own work and thoughts, I'm not entirely sure. But this idea that any original thought is is stifled um, is absolutely something that i think that that is the thing that he's attacking um and that is the evil it, it's or that is the that is the antithesis to the thesis of um the, the the sort of the the chaotic good that is uh our main characters they're not fighting evil they're fighting banality and they're fighting um thoughtless action and i think that's the thing it's the vogons want to destroy earth not because they think earth is bad um but because they've been told to do so <laughs> it's a commission and they've got to fulfill it okay it's interesting that uh, if if that's if that's what it is the the uh, they're fighting thoughtless actions they they fighting thoughtless actions while constantly being in the grip of a <laughs> um infinite improbability drive that is literally guiding everything that they do and say okay yeah it's deus ex machina fighting deus ex machina to Mackinoff. <laughs> I like that. And now, on no account, must you let the following happen to you. Vogon poetry is the third worst poetry in the universe. An example goes like this. 
Oh, frettled Gruntbugly, thy micturations are to me as plurdled gabble-blotchets on a lurgid bee. Group, I implore thee, my foonting turling drones, and hoopsiously drangle me with crinkly bindle-wordles, or I will rend thee in the gobberwots with my blurgle crunchin. See if I don't. As this might be considered the opposite of a love letter to language, um, Danny, I wanted to ask, what are your least favourite words from an aesthetic standpoint? I I, I struggled with this because mm. words are tools. So it's easy to say you hate a hammer until you need to bang a nail in, right? Sure. But the... Uh, the the word necessary and especially any um, any copulation of necessary, so um, unnecessary or necessarily, always has a strange rhythm to it that completely breaks up any sentence that that you're writing, and I find it constantly kicks you out of it. So I try not to, I try not to use that when unless it's absolutely essential. <laughs> essential, yeah. Um, Is it in the phonetics? Because that's not the British pronunciation. I, I, as as I've said before, I have a phonic processing disorder. So yeah, yeah, I know this is why I'm, um, I'm, I'm interested. So words kind of mush together for me, but rhythm of words is very important, mm-hmm. which is is probably, I don't know, probably tied to syllables. But I've never learned what a syllable is. Yeah, yeah. So um, the rhythm of sentences is important when I'm writing, and necessary always kind of. What is the what is the British pronunciation? Am I pronouncing it wrong? No, no, you're not. It, well, I'm not wrong. It's everybody pronounces it like that. Um, but according to, I don't think it's quite RP. But according to um, uh, a, 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 an older guide, um, it is an Americanism to pronounce the "ery," um, so it would be necessary. Yeah. And that goes that goes all the way through all of the ary words. Uh, and so it gets it, it it gets really weird when you get words like necessarily because it's like necessarily, which is ridiculous because yes. there should be some syllables in there somewhere. There should be some vowels in there. Pronounce the vowels. We've got them. Let's pronounce them. Um, but apparently, yeah, we, we we're not supposed to. But um, yeah, anyway, I, I, it's not important because I don't say necessary because that's weird. Um, but like category, we we would say category probably and not category. Um, as the Americans do, so um, it's. I, I wondered whether that made a difference, but it, some words just feel clumsy. And when you are interested in how that those words ring in your ears, even if you're writing them, and even if they're only going to be read, um, it, it, yeah, I can see that. I've also got some other things that I like great on me, but they're not necessarily aesthetic. They're, there's, there's, um, so. Uh, the word unfortunate to indicate poor or homeless. Yeah. Oh, the poor unfortunates. Mm-hmm. They're not unfortunate. They live in a system that shit on them. Like there's, n- there's nothing unfortunate about them. Like luck. Had nothing. They went unlucky. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that always grates on me, but that's, that's an ideological thing. Uh, and the only other thing that I've got is any word spoken by somebody with the speech impediment that whistles down the side of their cheeks. <laughs> you know, like, yes. Yes. Oh, um, that is called yes. um, oh uh, a, a lateral. Uh, it's called a lateral lisp. I I don't I don't judge anyone that does it. I don't think they're bad well, people. It's, not their fault. it's just it. Yeah, no, I know, and I'm just I'm just saying when yes. I hear it, I can't concentrate on anything else but that particular thing. It is it is drives me to distraction. Hmm. I, I would posit that if they were going to announce like a uni, uh, a unilateral uh, nuclear strike. If the person delivered it like this, today there's going to be a bomb dropping and everyone's going to die, I'd be kind of okay with it because I'd just be distracted by how it was delivered rather than the message itself. That would be a pretty uh, not accurate enough for a four-minute warning, would you? Today, sometime, <laughs> uh, you know. That's a surprisingly hard line from Danny Smith. I've got to say, that one. Okay, okay. I've got to admit this one has a history to it. Okay. When I was at junior school, there was a girl called Paula Nancy Millstone Jennings, and she had that lisp. She she teased me constantly to the point where oh no, um, I called her names mm-hmm. back, and it wasn't about mm-hmm. the lisp, but I did call her names back, and then she kicked me mm-hmm. right, and I, instead of being kicked, I caught her foot and pushed her down the bank. 
Right. Right. Yep. And she she cried and went to the teacher, and I got sent to the headmaster. And this is in junior school, yeah. so it's like like I'm 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 not I'm not old at this point. But I remember going to the headmaster's office and going, "This is clearly bullshit. This is clearly unfair bullshit." And if they're going to react like this, that's unfair, then they can't be really trusted with anything else. And so I think that was the moment that I decided that all, all authority figures are, are, are nonsense. I remember clearly thinking as the headmaster's talking to me, oh, you can't do this, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, but she kicked me. Like, I wouldn't have her foot in my hand if she hadn't presented it towards mm -hmm. my crutch. And I remember thinking... No, this is bullshit. And not only that, I'm going to hate people with lisps. That's I've just seeing the Vogon poetry written down yeah. in front of me reminds me as nothing so much as um, uh, a Will Self novel. <laughs> you mean utterly joyless? Well, I like Will Self, but it, there are this. I've after. I don't want to call um, a Babelfish problem <laughs> here, but the, the Babelfish is not translating these words <laughs> into uh, just brainwaves because the idea that the Babelfish would tr doesn't translate words but essentially brainwaves, it can only make the break the words in your heads that you understand, right? So I'm not sure I know what a bindle wordle is, <laughs> for example, but I'm sure Will Self does, <laughs> and I'm sure he's going to deliberately put that word in. Yes, and maybe say it's Bindle Wordle esque <laughs> about something, and and we'll we'll know what it means due to the placement in the sentence and the general thrust of his nasal voice. But <laughs> the, but we won't. We can't. Act, we couldn't actually say it. It's um. Mm -hmm. Will Self is uh, a man with uh, word of the day toilet paper and an awful <laughs> case of diarrhea. <laughs> How many sheets today, Will? No, I love, love him, love him, love him. <laughs> uh, and now let's... Um... Oh, I've got an idea. Ow! Many, many light years from Earth lies the grim and long-abandoned planet Vogue-sphere. Somewhere on a fetid, fog-bound mud bank... It sounds like a Will Self bit. On this planet, there stands surrounded by the dirty, broken and empty carapaces of the last few jewelled, scuttling crabs, a small stone monument which marks the place where it is thought the species Vogon Vogonblurtis first arose. On the monument there is carved an arrow which points away into the fog, under which are inscribed in plain, simple letters the words, The Book Stops There. I think one of the neatest little bits uh, in the film was the scene where the lads land on Vogue's Fair and are attacked by these little slapping sticks uh, that pop up out of the ground every time one of them has an idea. Uh, it's um, a, also a good illustration of the challenge not to think of an elephant, um, and a, a link to a clip of that is in the show notes. Uh, JB, what would be the best way for a society to function under the rule of the slapping sticks? Do you just have to endure the slapping, or does groupthink somehow immunise you? I think we don't need to uh, know. I mean, Parliament's been televised since about uh, 1987, so we've got hours of footage. That's what but I was looking for. That's the gold I was digging for. The, uh, so we just need to see what, just look at the Conservative benches. <laughs> but it's, um, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Now, I want to draw a parallel here with the problem of washing up. Okay. Well, the... the Washing up is the problem with washing up, isn't it? Mm. So what I'm what I'm what I'm going to say is, essentially, I'm going to going to. This is sort of a parable. Imagine, if you will, uh, consider the lily. You have to go at the plants now. Consider, the, consider the. So the birds are scrounging. Consider the washing up. You wouldn't like washing up if you did. Uh, what happened to me one time, which was quite unfortunate. I uh, I was washing a uh, a mug with a with a cloth. And the mug snapped, turning the uh, mug into essentially a pencil sharpener, <laughs> which I uh, scythed off um, a good half inch of flesh off oh. my uh, knuckle on my hand. But um, so washing up is inherently bad and dangerous and no one wants to wash up that's why washing up is the worst job that george uh, orwell takes on in down and out in paris and london that's why washing up is what you do if you can't pay the bill this is why washing up is the thing the kids do <laughs> in a house this is the thing it's the the lowest lowest of the low apart from the lad who eats the dung in the upstairs downstairs washing up is the worst thing to do so what have we done We've invented the dishwasher, a machine that can do the washing up. Mm. So 
But what's now the worst job? Oh, it's loading the dishwasher. <laughs> oh, it's really hard and things get all stabby and like you don't know which way things go. And unloading the dishwasher is even worse. Dad, dads, dads love to have rules about how you must load the dishwasher. Knives go up, except on Tuesdays when knives go down. Uh, and put the ceramics here and make sure the the the, um, the plates have got to face this way because the blade goes this way. And dads love a good rule about loading. Oh, the dishwasher. you've got you've got you've got to put not only you've got to put like the little tablet in the dishwasher you've got to keep it topped up with salt i mean it can't be doing anything for its blood pressure but (laughs) the problem is what i'm talking about is essentially um bad job inflation Mm. essentially we we got we got we've got so the first dish first time we got a dishwasher brilliant i haven't got to wash up six months into having a dishwasher oh christ this is awful and i'm convinced this happens the other way around you can put up with anything um for 10 minutes as they say. Um, so by and large, these people will be completely and utterly uh, immune to the slapping sticks, the uh, the Vogons, by, I don't know, about half two on Tuesday. <laughs> that's it, that's it. Just becomes like a mosquito. Yeah, well, uh, you know the Dalai Lama quotes about, um, if you ever think you're too small uh, to make a difference, you've never tried to spend a night with a mosquito. <laughs> And why the Dalai Lama wants to fuck a mosquito, I've got no idea. But um, it's true that little things can be annoying. But actually, you get used to big things. Yeah, we've even got used to a Tory government, haven't we? No. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's getting used to and there's accepting, I guess. We've got used to capitalism. Yeah, Very oh, few yeah. people want to change the status quo. May I ask? Can I ask? Please. For a start, really? You don't like washing up? I like washing up. It's nice. But anyway, no. Okay. Do you really think that thing with the slapping faces is good? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's funny. Yeah. It like slaps, slapstick voice, but I've always found that the clumbiest, clumsiest bit of mm. the whole, of the whole film. It like, it really, it really, it, it strikes me. It's always has done as, as somebody writing as Adam and doing a, an okay job, not great, mm-hmm. but an okay job. That's an okay idea from, uh, from committee of a bunch of people, trying to come up with adams-esque ideas that's what it that seems to me I, I i'm just really interested to think that you think that's good oh wow that was um oof god that, that was barbed no 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 i, I think it's funny, <laughs> I think it's funny. <laughs> slapstick was it's funny it's just, it's just literally a slapstick it's like i value your opinion and it's different from mine and i obviously value my opinion so i'm in i'm interested in this difference uh no i i <laughs> okay how can you be a smart person if you don't think what I think? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think I'm not going to argue with you. What I would say, um, all right, I'll, I'll argue with you. I won't argue against you. Is that I might print that on a T-shirt. Actually, I quite like that. Um, is that I think a lot of the things that we appreciate as being Douglas Adams' ideas are not all of the best of Douglas Adams's ideas. Um, so I, I think to say that something is one of Douglas Adams's okay ideas, I think possibly misrepresents a lot of the series in general. Uh, so a thing that I think about a lot when it terms, um, in terms of comedy is an interview that John Cleese gave uh, when he was talking about the difference between the first series and the second series of Faulty Towers. The reason that he, he cited for why it was so hard um, and why there are, you know, famously only 12 episodes is um, he his understanding is that people remember the peaks of a show. They remember the bits that were the absolute hilarious bits. They remember the um, the funny walk or the slapping the car with the stick or um, ducks off or, or the, the rat poking out of the, um, the box of biscuits. They don't remember the fact that that's not the overall pitch of the show. Those are the, those are the high points. And what he felt when coming to write the second series, and I'm aware of mixed highlights from both series, but what, what he was aware of in the second series, what he was trying to write to what the general public thought was the main pitch of the show, which was all the peaks. So he, he was like, well, we've got to make the show now 
like the, the peaks have to be that much higher because everybody thinks that the show is a 10, whereas actually, no, 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 it's, it's, it's like an eight and it has moments of 10, but everybody thinks the show is at a 10. So now we've got to write to a 12. And I think that's true of a lot of, of Adam's stuff in that he had some, some lovely observations and he had some kind of like, I'm not a big fan of the beast dramatics thing. I think it's, I, I think that's a sub, Pratchett observation. I don't think it works. I think it's it's agreed. I, I, yeah, I, absolutely yeah. agreed. And yeah. I know John Hickman doesn't. He really likes it. And and to me, it just felt uh, like the kind of thing that you snigger at in A levels. Uh, you know, in A level English, not really getting the reference, but being aware that it's probably funny. Um, and so I think, like, yeah, like I can't sit here and defend the slapping sticks as being as being a wonderful piece i do understand that it is like it's broad um but i think i think what i like is it is a visceral simple demonstration of a concept and i think it it drives home the idea of these um it drives home the 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 central tenant uh, or tenet of these people which is no original thought. It's not welcome here, um, and and does that in a very simple way. So yeah, it's not comedically the the most um, sophisticated thing, but I think it makes its point very well. Wow, that was a long way to say a simple thing. John Hickman obviously uh, goes out with friends to eat a lot more than we do. <laughs> I, 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 to go back to to Fosby, I think I was, I I, I took your bait, Mark. <laughs> I took I took your bait on the on the on the the thing on the what we thought, but um, but you're right. And what it is is a, the the device is very clever. You, it's it's a filmic device, isn't it? Because what it has to do is get over why Vogons are like this very very quickly. Otherwise, they are. You're looking for ways that you could persuade them or redeem them in the normal sort of Hollywood arc. Yeah. A Vogon would be redeemed in some way. But yeah. no, no, these are absolutely irredeemable um, sacks of uh, frog matter or whatever. You can't mm. you can't do anything with them. Yeah, absolutely. And it also means that we get to we get to see something without having to have another guide animation. Oh, okay. <laughs> do we win <laughs> no no i don't agree with you but I, it's interesting to hear the wrong opinion uh, and enunciated so so eloquently cool i'm i'm, I'm equivalent i'm not saying it's i'm not saying it's necessarily good i'm just saying it's quite good for a film most films are shit aren't they but yeah. but if you've got a whole film you've got and you've got this whole buffet of adams to pick from mm-hmm. and you invent something that's a little bit sub adams i mean even though he did it. Well, this is... The, yeah, and... Maybe not. Well, this is the thing. Or, or maybe he did. Maybe he did. Yeah. But, you know, at, the, at that point where it was going in, there's still an editing process, and you go, well, that was weak. I, I don't think it was weak, but I, I think I think it's also a mistake to um, categorise things as being Adams or not Adams, because, you know, we, we, we don't know. Um, and... Uh, yeah, un- unless someone's going to really come out and, and start delineating which bits were his and which bits weren't. I'd love that. I, I would... I have never watched a, a director's commentary in my life, but I would sit through somebody going, yeah, this was him, this was him, committee, 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 this was him. I'm not going to lie, mate. I, I absolutely would. I absolutely would, yes. <laughs> I would do the same thing with the Python thing. I would quite happily go there. Yeah, that was a cliche joke. That was an idle joke. Yeah. I would. Have you read uh, Revolution in the Head? No. Surprising no one. Uh, you would like it a lot. Um it's uh, basically a track by track dissection of the Beatles canon. Oh wow! Uh, you know, saying who wrote that, why they wrote that, um, what you know, what this song's about, where the origins, where they wrote it. Yeah, and I would, yeah, I just there are a million, not a million, that's mm-hmm. an exaggeration. There are <laughs> lots of Several. comedy series where I would, uh, I would definitely read that book. Yeah, absolutely. As an enemy race, the the Vogons though they they're quite soon dispatched. Uh, not in not in not in the whole sort of arc of the the, the five book trilogy because they they come back, but they're they're not the they're not the le- they're not the pressurizing concern after about five minutes <laughs> of the of the shot. And it and that's actually an interesting thing that there's no particular reason that the Vogons should be sort of brought back in mostly harmless as the the enemy. Mm. 
Um, it wouldn't have changed the, didn't need, would need to change the plot. It just gives you a slight, a vague feeling of uneasiness <laughs> and also a slight, um, well, it's a, it's a nice little touch, isn't it? It's a callback and that's all it is. We like to see, um, we like to see loops in narrative. We, we like to see that, that circle, you know, the, the, um, the loop at the end there, just, just, just touch the beginning of the circle so that we, you know, that we, we find that kind of thing satisfying, uh, as someone who's exploring, um, narrative and narrative in comedy at the moment, um, that the, the, the rules still apply. We like a satisfying narrative, whether it's for comedic purposes or not. And, you know, bring bringing it home in that sense, um, does, you know, it can help make it feel more satisfying even if it is manufactured it's still oh okay so that's why that was there even if it was completely retconned it's interesting in that you know i've I've read something today someone was doing a little bit of a joke about the uh how the um evil empire in star wars got the management uh got the planning permission for the death star (laughs) um and also the uh, you know the the eddie izzard sketch about there being a canteen yeah which there must have been Mm, of course Um, but that's in, the interesting thing. I was thinking that the, the um, obviously Hitchhikers comes just post Star Wars, but not um, so much that it would have been really a reaction to Star Wars. I mean, there are no. I think there's one sort of very Star Warsy joke somewhere in the. In it, there's but, a very Trekkie joke. Yes, there is. And there's there? the joke about split infinitives, um, but I don't. I don't really. I couldn't put, pinpoint anything that feels Star Warsy. In any of it, to be honest. So that's, but the, essentially the, the Vogons are, um, you know, they are, they're the evil empire as, um, essentially like the evil empire has been outsourced. Mm. It's like, uh, <laughs> like the Capita evil empire or the Carillion evil empire. Yes. Um, no one really knows. Yeah. No one really knows who's in charge or what they're doing. They've, they've got a crappy old computer system that they, it's running on Windows 95 and they can't connect to anything and, and, and stuff like that. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Just, a, just uh, a, an, an evil empire, but just a bit shit. <laughs> like that Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> evil empire. Well, I now call the Vogon portion of this enterprise to a close. Uh, may I have a second? Um, I, you have to fill that form in in triplicate. The motions must be submitted uh, 24 hours before the meeting. Oh, shit. All right, well, uh, in, in lieu of that, um, I, will, I will send my representative and have the minutes uh, ready for you tomorrow. Um, but now, uh, here's uh, something to amuse a mattress. For the meaning of the word volume... Uh, buy a copy of Squawn Shellus Swamp Talk at any remaindered bookshop, uh, or alternatively, buy the ultra-complete Maximegalon Dictionary, uh, as the university will be very glad to get it off its hands and regain some valuable parking lots. Uh, any t- um, any takers on what voluing might mean? Uh, apparently it makes a mattress happy, so uh, if you've no thoughts on that, perhaps you can tell me how to make a mattress happy. Stop lying on it. I don't know. Yeah, probably. No, well, ah, 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 Is that ah, just what it wants? Well, that's it, isn't it? Mm. Are mattresses happy when they get to fulfill their function mm. or are they reprieved when they're not fulfilling the function that we project onto them? Oh, well, they're, they're killed and dried out. So are herring happy when they're smoked kippers? Uh, you see, I had this whole... Ask me after breakfast. I had this whole rant about Albert Camus and, and uh, one must imagine mattresses to be happy <laughs> planned. But uh, yeah, no, that's just that's just fucked it dead. Uh, yeah, so... Uh... <laughs> Sorry, mate. Um, what makes it? I don't know. Volumping, volumping. Yeah, yeah, that makes them happy. They seem. That's it's a very happy sounding word. Yeah. Don't don't they volump volump across? (laughs) They flollop. Flollop. Yeah, they flollop. Yeah, they flollop. Um, which uh, and then they and they also um, they regard the wetness. I believe. (laughs) That's also a thing that they do. Well, my mattress, my mattress has had plenty of opportunity to regard the wetness. Oh. I can tell you that. Oh. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just glad your uh, mattress doesn't isn't memory foam, Dan. It would have PTSD. Okay, right, but okay. What I did want to mention, yes, right, yes. mattresses, mattress experts, yes, right. Which there sure. is apparently there is such a fucking thing yep. as a mattress expert right say you have to replace your mattress every five to seven years oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. right the mattress experts that say that yeah are the mattress foundation uh, yeah yeah of course, <laughs> right? of course they are. which is a thing yeah right the mattress foundation is actually a bunch of people from different mattress companies yeah having an opinion on how often you should buy 
mattresses. Yeah. Apparently, it's a lot more often than, than you would have thought. Mattress yeah. responsibly when the fun stops, stop. So, so it's like it's it's like that f- fucking you know um, dentist saying you should go to the dentist every whatever like six months or so, right? Of course you'd say that. And when you go, oh, this is a good. One. And when you grow your hair, and people go, oh, how did you grow your hair? Like, you, I, I stopped cutting it, and they were like, well, if you get it cut more often, it'll help you grow. No, <laughs> that's the. That's exactly the opposite of growing your hair. The less often you get it cut, is the longer it'll get. I promise you. Like, that's just simple. Well, it's been a while, but now it's time to revisit one of Magrathea's favourite philosophers. Vroom Fondle is a philosopher from Cruxwin University. In the radio series, he was played by Jim Broadbent. That was when he was a Jim and not a James. No, it's when he was a James, not a Jim. He was a James, and now he's a Jim, but he was called James when he did the thing. Um, Danny, uh, where do you um, do your best philosophizing? Washing up. Ah, I see. <laughs> I I genuinely like washing up. I genuinely like it. It's it's funny that it's mentioned because I, I genuinely do like washing up. I like. I think it's very meditative. I think mm-hmm. it's very zen. I think it's being able to do something that's an automatic process there's a satisfaction to it so yeah and it allows your mind to to wonder i think Mm -hmm. there's a massive value in being bored i think yes you you're not creative unless you're bored and i also think that you don't really know yourself unless you you allow yourself to be bored now and again so yeah so um one of those places is washing up another one of those places is um on the bus I used to listen to a lot of podcasts. So I used to be a huge podcast consumer, but I realized that what I was doing was filling the silence with podcasts and I wasn't allowing myself to hear my own thoughts. So even though I absolutely loved podcasts, I loved it as a form, I stopped listening to podcasts so I could hear myself think, so I could give myself that space to be bored. I had like um, a, a job that was a three-hour journey um, round trip like an hour and a half there and back um and i used that time to actually think about things and feel about things and and generally check in with myself and my thoughts and i I, it became addictive it became something that i didn't want to stop doing so i do get a lot stick because i don't listen to podcasts but they don't really fit into my life anymore I know that's I know that's offensive for you, seeing as like, your job and whatnot. As, as long as our listeners don't take you up on it, it's fine. Exactly, yeah, no, it's fine. Um, no, no, not not in one bit. Um, Stop listening. Go do something with go your do brain. Something better. Go, don't do something less boring instead. Yeah. No, I I, I actually agree with um, you, Danny, about um, washing up. Actually, I find um, vacuuming quite good for uh, mm. thinking about things because you simply can't do anything else. Yeah. Or uh, walking a dog. Very good. And now it's time to talk about a device that would have made Pastmark very, very happy to own. For some reason, Ford throws a bunch of Walkmans uh, out to the crowds thronging around the ship that lands on Earth in Mostly Harmless. John, why does he do that? Uh, well, is it the correct plural here? So Yeah. Uh, it's a Sony Walkman. Yep, Walkman, is it, yep. Is that a number of Walkmen or is it a number of Walkmans? I don't know. Walksman, it's, it's Walksman. <laughs> It's like Surgeon's General. If it's a walk, if 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 the name is Walkman, then the plural of it is Walkmans, right? Because they're not now called Walked Men. <laughs> I think the it's a, it's obvious why uh, Ford does it. Yeah. But what's more interesting, I think, today is I can't think of an analog of what Ford no, uh, would uh, ha yes of what Ford would throw in today's world. Yeah, because well, it'd be it'd be an iPhone ten or something. Well, you couldn't throw them. Oh, yeah, that's true. You, you're pretty much guaranteed. <laughs> well, you could pretty much guarantee that if a Walkman in a box lands on the floor, it's going to be all right. You can't, you couldn't sling out a bunch of iPhones or uh, anything. And also, there, it would have to be, you'd have to go straight for the money. Mm, yeah. Nothing, nothing else. There isn't, I don't think there's anything. It was, it was such, the Walkman was such a object of desire. Mm-hmm. At that point, and so culturally, um, sort of, you know, 
it crossed cultural uh, boundaries in the sense that people of different sort of youth tribes were also slightly older people to go, oh, I'll have one of them walk, I'll have one of them walkmen's. Mm-hmm. They, they don't want them. But, but imagine that you're going to throw out, oh, I don't know, I'll go and throw out a bunch of like Google Home speakers or I'll throw out some mini iPad minis. <laughs> you see, I don't know much about the next generation, but what I do know is that they really love avocados. Oh, yeah, they go. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the equivalent of just throwing out av- they go avocados in the one hand, toast in the next. Li- they're millennials. They go crazy for avocados. Just, just, That's why they haven't got homes. Just or just throw out a load of um, affordable uh, rented accommodation to them. Or oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you can't go around throwing avocados. People think you've you know organised a return to the stocks, but just in a very middle class way. <laughs> yeah, I, d- I don't know. It's it's phenomenal. Did, did um you you two are too young to have Walkman, really? Aren't you too poor? I love the Walkman. I love the Walkman. I saved all my money. I would buy the I would buy the Walkman. Um, I had Walkmans while everybody else said CD players, mm-hmm. and I would buy the Walkman that would have the um, the the reverse function, so you didn't have to take oh, the tape man. out. It would automatically play the other side and just play through the tape. Yes, mate. Luxury. I I, I miss them. I miss kind of I miss the restriction of them. I miss yes. having to sit with an album, having to make a choice, and it's like okay, you've got this album or the other one that's in your bag and mm-hmm. that's what you're going to listen today and that's, you're going to consume this album in the, in the way it's meant to be consumed repetitively and actually involved with it. This is exactly how I feel, uh, completely unironically, maybe 10% ironically, but no, this is exactly how I feel about Minidisc because when I was at uni, um, I saved up and I loved, loved everything about the mini disc it was it's such a lovely format so satisfying to load a mini disc in um yes you know that, that it had such a I, i've talked on um a, a podcast years ago about there's got to be a word a german word for that satisfying technical interaction that you have you know it'll be called something like verstärken and klinkt and it's it's just it describes that sort of very satisfying mechanical interaction that you can have with a physical object and um mini disc were full of verskirten clinked um yeah. and, and you know having recording onto them and then sitting and painstakingly going through uh with a little remote control and going a b b b c c c d d and and um t- tapping in the name encoding the name of the song uh onto each track absolutely loved it I um I, I skip CD players like uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> skipping mm, CD skip, players. Skipping. Um, yeah, so I skipped it. I went straight onto Minidisc. I bought a Minidisc. I saved. Uh, like I, I was working at the time, and it was mm-hmm. a whole bunch of wages. Yeah, I was I was enamored ever since I saw the advert with refund. Oh wow! Remember that on telly? Oh, of course, yes, yes. So I I bought one, and I had it for a, a wonderful month or maybe two months. Oh no! And then I got hit by a car. <laughs> <laughs> with uh, with my mini disc in and it smashed it to pieces. Oh, heartbreaker. <laughs> I know. I never got another one, but I I miss it. I I've still got one of the discs kicking around somewhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, now you've got me all nostalgic. What I'm really thinking about is the old Danset you used to be able to have, like a Danset record player, and you could just pile up the seven inch singles. Oh no, that's on cool. Top of the, they were fantastic, and they'd fall down, and the next record would come on. And you could play it. Oh, man, they were good. I don't know if I ever put this show, uh, if I ever put Hitchhikers on minidisc, but it wouldn't have surprised me. Uh, I may have done at some point. Um, you know, I, 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 I once had a really nice copy of um, of all the Hitchhiker stuff on um, on CD. And whatever, whatever happened to that, Danny? <laughs> you borrowed it to my then-girlfriend. Nope, nope. I lent it to you. No, I'm pretty sure. No, 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 no. You, you can be sure. I lent it to you because you'd never heard it. Uh, yep. Yeah, I don't know what happened to that. Yep. No, no idea. Well, that just about wraps it up for that episode. Thank you very, very much for listening. Um, we, I, I estimate approximately 3.4 episodes left. So uh, we really are coming in for a landing, uh, lads. Um, what we're going to do with the, the 0.6 left over, we're just going to just leave it silent like the uh or maybe do a podcast about something else like the novels that you get on um 
shit, what's that planet? Oh, the ones that uh, that have exactly um, 500,000 words or whatever it is. Yeah. Yes, on Now What, I think. No, no, that's not Now What. That's um, Is it not? No, it's the nice planet, but the people just don't breathe properly. Ah, right, okay. Well, if you want to follow us, um, you, you can do so, uh, and uh, and that'd be nice. Um, you can follow Probably Drunk, uh, that's Danny, uh, on Twitter. Um uh, John Bounds is at Bounder and you'll find me uh, in various places on the internet including Twitter and Instagram at I am Stedman so until next week where we're going to do a fun little topic section so if you want to uh, if you want to have your opinions at the ready then uh, feel free Danny do you want to um, perhaps uh, introduce or trail as, as I think they say uh, what we're going to be um, doing is a, a little off topic section next week okay I've been uh, currently my current obsession is the um, D&D alignment scale so on one side of the scale it goes from um, lawful to chaotic and the other side it goes from it's just it's good to evil isn't it isn't it yes yeah good to evil yeah um so and everything's a point where they cross including true neutral so uh we are going to do something to do with that so brush up <laughs> on your D alignment scales and um listen to us butcher it and get it totally wrong so you can correct us later well uh we will see you next week when we do that so until then share and enjoy This podcast is produced by Podient. To find out more, visit podiantproductions.com. Well, uh, it's been a while, but now it's been a while. Oh, every time, <laughs> every time. Can't help it. What song is that? Because I can hear the bit that you, you've yeah, been yeah. referencing. No, I, I still don't know. I just know that you do it. I've heard it at one point, but I, I'm sure if you type it's been a while into the internet, you'll find out what it is. It's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, I can hear it, but yeah. I can't hear the rest of it. That is no. No, incredibly no. frustrating. Yeah, it is. Well, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a while, but it's been a while. Uh, it's been a while. We've been so well behaved. This has been a great episode, and you've all been very, very good. You've been on your best behaviour, and now I'm make- now I'm making a, a mockery of it all. It's been a while. Well, it's been a while, but it's... <laughs> it's been sake. a long time. I shouldn't have left you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can't even say that one. Are you back once again? <laughs> Guess who's back? <laughs> well, uh, it's been a minute. Um... <laughs> all right. This is all going in the outtakes, and now it's time to be serious. Hmm. <laughs> Sink. Yeah. <laughs> sink about what you're trying to do to me. <laughs> I miss sink. Sink about what I'll <laughs> let yourself be free. <laughs>